this is not going to be your normal run-of-the-mill episode of the podcast. Uh, I think anyone who's been following on Twitter um, knows that the past 24 hours or so have been uh, fairly difficult. Um, I don't really know exactly where to begin. Uh, Anyone who's listened to this podcast since the beginning knows that I'm a huge fan of women's wrestling um, in particular, you know, sort of the, the niche within our niche that we, that we love so much. Um, I've had the opportunity to, uh, living in Chicago to attend shimmer events for, you know, the past number of years and, um, get to talk with a lot of the talent, interview some of the talent for this podcast. Shotzi Blackheart was the very first interview, um, that I ever conducted for the podcast. Um, and, Around the time this podcast started, I would say even probably about a year before uh, the podcast began, um, is when I started to really get into Joshi, um, which I'm sure anyone who's listening probably already knows, but for those that don't, um, you know, that's the, the term for women's wrestling in Japan. And, you know, Joshi holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts because the houses for, you know, the past decade or so uh, haven't necessarily been huge. The exposure hasn't been nearly as big as it was at one time. You know, there was a time in the in the 70s and 80s and, and 90s when, when Joshi was easily on par um, with their male counterparts. And indeed, some of the stars that came out of or came into Joshi were larger stars than their male counterparts. Um, you know, some of those stars, it's, it would be like in, in, in terms of, you know, if you could find a way to, to translate it, uh, to America, it would be like if Madonna and Britney Spears were professional wrestlers, you know, the, and still did what they also did in music. You know, that was kind of the crossover popularity that a lot of the, you know, the idols and, 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 Joshi wrestlers had. In addition to that, you had just incredibly talented women who devoted their lives to the, the, the art of professional wrestling and, and names that still to, to this day are, you know, are, are practicing that art and, and, and giving back so much to the art form in, in terms of, you know, um, shepherding the, the, the younger talent. Aja Kong is someone who immediately comes to mind, who I've had the pleasure to meet and speak with and is, is just an incredible talent and seeing her, you know, wrestle live is just unbelievable. Um, unfortunately I never have had the opportunity to visit Japan. Um, and I've never had the opportunity to attend any, uh, you know, Joshi shows live. Um, although a, a lot of the, well, not a lot, but, but a few of the shimmer shows that I've attended have brought over, um, Joshi talent, you know, including, like I said, Aja Kong, um, uh, Hikaru Shida, uh, is someone who I also had the pleasure to meet. Um, and you know, who now is, is making a name for herself in, in AEW. Um, stardom in particular was a promotion that was easily accessible. Uh, when I started to get into Joshi, like modern Joshi, I'd, I'd seen a lot of like classic Joshi before, you know, these past few years, but when looking for a promotion 
in the here and the now and wrestlers and talent here and now to get into uh, stardom was where I went and, and seeing names like Io Shirai and, um, um, and now Kairi Sane, um, Kairi Hojo originally, but, but like to, to see these, these talents, uh, Mayu Iwatami and, um, the, the quality of, of matches that they were putting on for a guy like me, who's always been impressed with like work rate and storytelling in the ring. It just, you know, blew me away and it, it gave me a whole new facet of this beautiful, wonderful art form to appreciate. Um, and of course, you, you know, a lot of Gaijin talent, um, like Tony Storm and, uh, Bea Priestley and, um, uh, Jamie Hayter, uh, and, and, and even, you know, shimmer talent like Nicole Savoy, uh, Zoe Sky, um, and names that were able to, to go over and, and have excursions, um, you know, in some cases, um, like those first three names I mentioned, you know, have great success in stardom, um, helped to kind of ease me into it. Um, all that is to say that I have spent the past year plus probably, um, just being a huge fan of Hana Kimura. Um, she brought so much to the promotion and to, to wrestling. Um, it was easy early on in her career to level critiques saying that like, Oh, she's got a lot of personality, a lot of character, but her in-ring work might not be up to par. Um, especially with some of the other names that she's in there with like Kagetsu and, and Iwatami, you know, to, to name a couple, uh, Watanabe. Um, but, but she, came from wrestling. You know, her mother, Kyoko Kimura, um, is someone who had a lengthy career. I mean, just recently retired just a couple of years ago, um, in professional wrestling. And, you know, also is quite remarkable because one of the things about Joshi is that for the longest time, once you reached a certain age, you were basically considered to have aged out of Joshi. Um, and so the, the, the sport was a little bit unforgiving, um, to young women, you know, they were starting very young, uh, and still do start very young. And, um, I mean, we're talking like nine and 10 years old. Uh, so by the time they're 20, you know, they, they might've already had 10 years and that might not necessarily be like in ring professional uh, um, you know, constant touring or whatever, but they've been training since then. And they, and, and they've had, you know, their first match when they were 14 or whatever. So you think about that, you, you think about somebody like a Rey Mysterio, you know, watching Nitro in the nineties, they used to talk about when he got his start and, and at 23 years old, he'd already been wrestling for almost a decade or, or whatever. And, you know, the, the, for so much of this Joshi talent, that was true and still, you know, is true. But, you know, in the, back in the day, they were basically considered at a certain age. Um, they were, you know, they aged out and they could no longer participate. And that gradually started to change. You know, you had performers who, who bucked the trend and, and would come back and continue to wrestle. And, you know, once the nineties hit in particular, that really kind of that whole system got eradicated luckily. And that's why you have talent, you know, like Aja Kong and, and Kyoko Kimura uh, for that matter, wrestling into their forties. Um, but, you know, <sighs> 
Hannah came from a family um, that had built its life in professional wrestling. And she, uh, I believe, participated in her very first match when she was only like nine years old. Um, and, you know, she started training when she was very young and, you know, had her debut, um, when she was like 18 and, and, um, has spent the past, you know, three and a half, four years, you know, crafting this wonderful personality that was growing and changing and evolving. And, and in particular, you know, you go back and you look at 2019 specifically and the growth uh, that she experienced, not just as that personality and that character, but as a professional wrestler and her in-ring skills and adding new moves to her moveset and new finishers, you know, with the package pile driver and, and, and really coming into her own and embracing this, this character who was fun and sexy and, and, you know, dangerous and, and, and yet shined a light on, on, on the audience, you know, when she came out from that curtain and, uh, and you heard her music, um, she, she just was this incredible, vibrant personality. Um, and you couldn't help but notice that when you watched her. Um, and last year it became clear that her position on the card in stardom was on a trajectory to propel her to the very top. Um, you know, she won the five-star Grand Prix, had some really great matches, um, throughout the tournament. And one of my favorite things about her participation in that tournament, uh, is she would sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star in all of her pre-match promos. And for those who don't follow Stardom, one of the cool things that Stardom does, in, in addition to subtitling um, all of the content that hits Stardom World, is that they um, showcase pre-match promos before every match. So you hear from the talent right before their match. And uh, and Hannah used to do this thing in the Five Star Grand Prix where she would sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And I, you know, a part of me wishes I was making this up because it's just too eerie to wrap my head around sometimes. Um, but I literally was rewatching some of her matches just two days ago. Um, I started playing Fire Pro Wrestling World again. I hadn't played in quite some time. And I hadn't picked up some of the newest DLC. And, and I hadn't watched Stardom, honestly, in, in a while. I, I have not been following these past few months because things have been very difficult working from home and being the primary um, child care for my, my daughter uh, because my wife is considered an essential worker. And so she's very, very busy right now. And even though she's working from home, too, you know, it just makes more sense for me to do the child care. So between that and work and, and just everything else, I've not been able to keep up, you know, with, with much wrestling, even though there's not a lot that's been going on, obviously because of the pandemic. And I, I just kind of dropped off at the beginning of this year, but because I was, you know, kind of getting this, the podcast restarted and I was, and I was finding myself watching these documentaries and, you know, thinking, Oh, I should watch some new content or, or stuff that I haven't seen yet. And so I, I threw on stardom world and, um, I was watching these matches of hers, um, from the five star Grand Prix and uh, uh, even even some stuff from earlier this year, and she um, just was a talent that I just was I, I was I was 
on board with a hundred percent. You know, it's similar. I mentioned Shotzi Blackheart earlier. It's similar to the feeling I had when I first saw Shotzi and I was just like, that's going to be my wrestler. That's the person I'm going to follow. Um, you know, I want to see what she does and I want to see how she grows and where she goes from here. And there's something about her, that indefinable thing that I just really, really love. And I think that so many people, one of the things that you'll hear about Hana Kimura, you know, and have already heard, I'm sure is that she was the most charismatic wrestler on that roster and probably one of the most charismatic wrestlers. I I, I mean, she was, she had that indefinable thing, that it thing, um, that would have propelled her to a, a, a larger stage. There's just, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, there's, look, there's no denying that, that, that like when you talk about stardom and the history of stardom, you know, Io Shirai and, and Kairi Sane and Mayu Itami, like th- those three are, 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 there's not even an argument, the best workers that have ever come out of or been in that promotion. Um, and they, and all three of them do have incredible charisma, you know, especially Kyrie. Uh, but I would argue that Hana probably beats all three of them in that department. And the fact that she was, you know, um, speaking English and working so hard on, on, on learning English and, and, and would speak English at every opportunity she got with, you know, uh, English speaking fans or, or, or talent, um, it, it, it kind of made her an ambassador in a lot of ways. You know, there's a reason why she participated in ring of honor. There's a reason why, um, you know, she was chosen to be on that Tokyo dome card, uh, a dark match. Unfortunately, the, the, that I can only hope, and I know some fans have already asked this question on Twitter that new Japan will release that match if they, you know, if they can, uh, or, or maybe they'll put it on stardom world or something. Um, if it's available, um, but she had that that thing, that indefinable thing, and in and, 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 and at a time like this, you know, you can only wonder how far she would have gone with that. Is this someone that in in a few years we would have seen, you know, at, at the top of an AEW card or or you know in WWE? Um, you know, regardless of, of, of any of the criticism, and I have a lot of them right now, uh, for the WWE, uh, you know, they, they're, they're, they're the thing, they're the machine, they're the top of the mountain right now. And, and you see the talent that's there right now, and in particular in the women's division. And, and I mean, Hana Kimura would fit right in. I mean, my goodness, you know, the matches that she could have had, um, with anyone on that roster, um, much less any of her, her, you know, former Joshi, uh, um, co-workers, you, you know, it would have been something to see. Um, uh, but even when you think about the immediate future for her, there is no doubt that 2020, you know, once shows would, would be able to start happening again, if they are able to start happening again this year, um, that she would have been positioned towards the very top of the card. We were going to see Hana Kimura versus Julia in, 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 uh, I mean, it would have been awesome. It, not because these are the two best workers necessarily in stardom. Um, although I mean, Hana was getting better every, every time you saw her, frankly. Um, but because the personalities that they brought to the ring and the positioning that, that they had been given in stardom, just, it made it one of those feuds that you wanted to see in those matches that you wanted to see. And, you know, Rossi Ogawa even tweeted, um, earlier today that that very fact that that was, you know, that that was the direction that, that he was heading. And, and so it's, it's almost easy to talk about all of those things. 
um, it's almost easy to celebrate. Luckily, it's easy for me. It feels easy to celebrate this talent, this this artist, this athlete, this this incredible, vibrant human being. Um, that you know, those of us talking about her uh, or or tweeting about her or or engaging in, in the podcast realm or whatever um, are doing as fans. And then you see the people that knew her, um, Tony Storm, Bea Priestley, um, I name those two right off the bat just because they're, they're easier to engage with, I think, for English speaking fans. Um, but of course, you know, her stardom peers, uh, as well, and you read what they're writing and you see the pictures and the videos that they're sharing. My God, Tony Storm. I am so grateful for someone like Tony Storm, who I adore and think is just a fantastic wrestler and, 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 and you know, someone else that um, when it comes to, you know, to, to women's wrestling, I just, you know, I just adore. I, I think she's great and, and I enjoy watching her. And I'm grateful that, you know, NXT UK continues to be, you know, one of my favorite pieces of programming to come out of, of WWE uh, and one of the only ones that I watch these days, um, she has been posting these incredible videos. Um, and it's just, it's hard not to be touched. Um, it's hard not to get emotional when seeing these things. Um, Brody King, um, from Ring of Honor also, uh, posted some beautiful tweets, um, in, in a thread about his, um, relationship, you know, with her and, and the first time that he met her and, um, and, and then saw her again at Madison Square Garden. Um, and, and just the quality of person that she was, uh, and then as a fan, it makes it a little difficult to process the thoughts and feelings because I didn't know her. Um, I didn't get to share space with her or a conversation with her or a fun time at a karaoke bar or, you know, I didn't get the opportunity to do those things that these people that are close to her or, you know, acquaintances of hers or, or peers of hers did. And it makes you stop and question, you know, are my feelings, are my thoughts and feelings that I'm having over the loss of this person valid? Um, should I feel the way that I feel? Am I, am I being self-indulgent by feeling this way? And I don't know that I have any clear answers, but what I do know is that we are all human and we share this space. We breathe the same air. We all have a human heart. And we, while we can control what we do with them, we cannot control the emotions and the things that we feel. And I dare say we shouldn't. Again, I think we can control what we do with those emotions. You know, I think um, 
it's difficult sometimes. And I think that when you find yourself in a dark place, um, it's the hardest thing to do to try to get yourself out of it. But when you're touched by a sense of, of grief, um, when you feel sensitive to that and raw to that because of so many of the things that are already happening here um, that we that we are seeing right now globally as a result of this pandemic and as a result of other events that have occurred recently as a, as a community of fans, I think that it is not only okay to feel that way, but I think it's good. I think... It helps all of us. I think that at a time like this, taking the opportunity to share a loving or positive thought or memory with the people who are most affected by this, perhaps, um, not only validates your feelings and their feelings, but the person that you are mourning for. Um, The people that we see, the people that we engage with as a fan, they do touch our lives. They enrich our lives. They can help us to be better versions of ourself in best case scenarios. We can learn from them. We can be entertained by them. We can just feel good watching a movie, reading a book, playing a game, watching a wrestling match. And while I think that there are certainly unhealthy ways to engage with this grief and the anger that I'm sure comes along with it because of what happened, that ultimately taking a moment to recognize that you felt something for someone else and that you're not alone in feeling that is okay. So it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry And it's okay to grieve and mourn, and it's okay to share that with people you don't know, which is why I'm doing this. And I hesitated and I questioned whether or not I would, but, you know, that is also a part of grief and a part of what defines us as a fan, there's a certain selfish quality to it. You know, we get something from that. And so I wanted to do this. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do this for me, but I also wanted to do it for anybody who took the time to listen. I wanted to share. I wanted to share my perspective. And I hope that that, that others will continue to share as well. It's strange because... Hannah's not the only person that we've lost recently in the wrestling community. And I haven't really said anything 
on Twitter or, or, you know, even, even in my personal life about Shad Gaspard and I don't know why (laughs) part of it might be the fact that I wasn't really watching wrestling when crime time was on WWE. Uh, To be frank, the gimmick, once I read about it and heard about it, made me a little uncomfortable. (laughs) Although, to be fair, uh, the talent involved seemed to be having a great time with it and and enjoying it. Um, And it's not my place to judge, you know, it's not my place to sit as, as, as a privileged white male and have any judgment whatsoever on that. Um, but I couldn't speak to him as the wrestler necessarily, but I could speak to him as the father. One of the things even about Hannah's death that has been difficult is I have a nearly two year old daughter and she is so wrapped up in my mind and heart and everything that I do that even when thinking about and hearing about Hannah yesterday and then last night about her passing, I thought of my daughter. And with Shad, it's the same way. I can only hope that if ever confronted with a situation even remotely similar to what he went through and did, that I would react with the same courage and selflessness and love and devotion that he did. He gave the last full measure. I know that that's a term that's usually you know reserved for the military or, or, or those in the line of duty, but the last full measure of devotion in my mind is exemplified by what he did. And I can only hope that his family gains something from that. And that we as people who are familiar with him and, you know, are part of this community, um, that can see him as, as a shining example of, of a parent and of a human who did the only thing in the moment that he thought he could, that he was capable of, and that resulted in saving his son's life at the expense of his own. It's also, at this particular time, very difficult not to think of Owen Hart. I admittedly have not watched the Dark Side of the Ring episode um, that covered his death just yet. I remember very clearly um, the night that it happened. I I was watching... I remember quite possibly even more clearly the night after for Raw. And I am almost, I, I, it's, it's strange. You feel so many different 
things, but I cried for two straight hours. Um, three days shy of my 18th birthday, actually. And I was so sad. Owen Hart had been one of my favorite wrestlers. And at times I didn't even know it because he was so good that I hated him. (laughs) And I was always a Bret Hart fan. I was such a Bret Hart fan. Um, but after Bret left for WCW and Owen stayed behind, um, I just, I was always still so drawn to him and what he was doing. Um, but for me, especially looking back as a fan, the Owen that I will always love and appreciate the most, I think is that, you know, that span of time when he feuded with Brett, um, from WrestleMania 10, um, on through to the SummerSlam cage match. And he was so good. And that feud was so good that I think people underrate the match he had with Brett at WrestleMania 10. I think that that match, that match, I mean, the latter match gets all the credit. Sure. Of course, you know, the Iron Man match a couple of years later uh, that Brett had with Sean, the, you know, the matches we've been treated to, um, you know, in the 2000s that we got, uh, um, whether it was the, the triple threat match at WrestleMania 20, uh, you know, Angle and, and Sean, uh, Sean and Cena, uh, Sean and Taker, Sean and Taker, <laughs> there's, a, there's a theme there, uh, which are great. And of course the Steamboat Savage classic, but my God, if you're creating a list of the best matches in WrestleMania history, like that match should be there. I love that match. I love that match. Then I love that match. Now. Um, I love the cage match. Uh, the only thing about that cage match that I wish was different is I wish Brett would have gotten his way and they could have gotten color. I don't know if anybody knows this or not, but Brett Hart was convinced that one of them needed to bleed during that match. Um, but at the time there was a strict, you know, no blood policy and they wouldn't allow it to happen. And Brett was always, you know, kind of bummed about that. And he thought that the match that they had as great as it was, could have been even better had they been allowed to get, get some color. Um, that's in his book, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but even going further back than that, you know, not knowing that it was Owen Hart, of course, in the blue blazer gimmick, you know, WrestleMania, I think it was, was it five that I'm remembering now? Um, I'm doing all of this just off the top of my head. I don't have any notes for this show. I don't have any, you know, windows or tabs open on my browser. I'm just talking to talk. So I apologize and I appreciate anyone who's, who's listened this far. Um, but yeah, Owen was, Owen was an incredible talent. And the thing that also made Owen, and it's weird because I feel like when, there's a part of me that when you hear about things like this, you almost just want to be like, well, that doesn't seem right. But like the fact that he didn't always take it so seriously, the fact that he could have such a good time in the ring and messing with people and having fun with people. And yet still, 
you know, put on wonderful matches and be a, a, a wonderful in-ring talent is, is just a testament to how skilled and incredible he really was. You know, looking at some of his, his, his work in Japan, um, he was having incredible matches before he was even fully formed in a lot of ways. You know, and he'd already been wrestling for you know, nearly all his life. Like, it was all he wanted to do. Um, but, of course, the thing that sticks with you the most and the thing that so many people said immediately after and still to this day say, and, and you know, you could read about in McFoley's book, Have a Nice Day, um, is that Owen was an incredible person. He was kind, he was funny, he was devoted and faithful to his family in a business where a lot of people weren't. He was a good human. I guess maybe that's the theme of this episode, you know, it's focusing on good humans. I don't know why bad things happen. Of course I don't. I'm just a guy with a microphone talking into the ether, hoping somebody listens. But I've spent my life, since I was 12 years old, trying to understand what it means to be a human being and try to illuminate that. For those that don't know, I spent a decade, over a decade of my life working as a professional actor. I was never in any big movies or TV shows. It was almost all theater, you know, a couple of small things here or there, independent film, some TV pilots, some commercials. But through it all, the thing that I loved more than anything um, was live theater and the immediacy of it, the, the, the human connection of it all. And I felt like it was my responsibility as an actor beyond serving the story, beyond just telling a story as honestly as possible, that it was my responsibility through doing that, through telling a story in an honest manner, to hopefully share something with another human being, whether it was a cast member or an audience member, that would help them understand a little bit more about what it was to be human. What it was to share this experience that we call life with one another. That was something, and still to this day is something, that engages me and invigorates me. And in a selfish way helps me to learn more. And I know that I have learned so much over the past, you know, 20 months, 22 months now, being a father. And I have so much more to learn. The only thing that I know is that I know nothing, you know. But I think that when we look at the lives of the people that have touched us, and moved us in some way, and they are taken from us too soon, or in ways that we cannot wrap our heads around. 
that the best thing we can do, the most positive thing that we can do is to celebrate the way that they touched and moved us, the way that they may have helped us learn something about what it means to be a human being. For Owen, his talent and his sense of humor, for Shad, his heroic final act, his devotion as a father, for Hannah, her vibrancy, her promise, what could have been. It has been a very difficult time for me personally. Since all of this started, my father has declined rapidly and now finds himself in a long-term care facility, dealing with hallucinations and possible bouts of dementia, as well as being an extreme fall risk due to Parkinson's-like behavior. My grandmother, who, after my mother died, became my surrogate mother in so many ways and showed me unconditional love like no one else in my life ever has died on the same day that she died my grandfather was diagnosed with COVID-19 I can be thankful for the fact that even at a hundred years old his resolve and his health have carried him through it and that he is recovering in a manner that is amazing, even the doctors. So many other little things along the way have seemed to go awry. And it has been an extremely difficult time. And I have battled depression, bouts of anxiety and stress, I've been quick to anger and unfair to my wife. But I'm lucky. And I'm grateful. Because with the help of therapy (laughs) and good people and the kindness of others around me, I have been able to see my way through a lot of that and work through it and am working through it. And not only am I filled with that gratitude, I'm filled with an overwhelming sense to be kind. Be kind. Because it is so easy when you look around at certain things that happen on a day-to-day basis, to be angry and bitter and hateful and hurtful. But I I am a living testament in this moment right now, in this moment of grace, in this moment of compassion, in this moment of empathy, that kindness not only helps those around you, it helps you.
can only imagine what Hannah was going through. And I don't want to take the time to talk about Terrace House or any of the things that had affected her or any of the circumstances surrounding her passing because I don't know everything and no one does and it would be irresponsible and unkind in this moment to do so. So I think of her life. And I will say one thing about Terrace House, actually. I will say this. Another example of of how promising she was is the fact that, like, she was selected to be on this show and was exposing her art to a whole new audience. And I think that seeing the places that she had found herself... You know, whether it was Terrace House or the Tokyo Dome or Five Star Grand Prix winner or Madison Square Garden. This was someone who had so much more left to give. But luckily, she left us with so much to celebrate. So yes, I am sad and I am angry but I am also so sad for the people that did this. I'm so sad that they couldn't find a better way. I'm sad for them, for the mark upon their soul, their heart, that they'll have to carry with them. I am sad for them. And I can only hope that they will find a better way. It's so easy to be jaded and cynical, but I'm over it. I've never been good at it. I'd rather hold on to hope and kindness and compassion and love. Because I think if you look at any of the three people that I have spoken about today, you would find strains of that summing up their entire existence. And I hope that anyone who's listened to this can find that for themselves as well. I think I'm probably going to go and turn on the PlayStation, start up a little Fire Pro, maybe throw on a little Stardom World. It'll be difficult. Still trying to wrap my head around all of it, process all of it. But as a fan, I think it's healthy to celebrate if you can. And if you can't right now, I'm sure you'll find a time when you can. There have been a lot of wonderful tributes. There have been some really great stuff um, out there on the internet. Um, I would encourage people to check out... Jason Westhaver's tribute article on Voices of Wrestling. He also lists some great matches um, to familiarize yourself with Hana if you didn't know her. Um, and if you did, they're a great place to go back and, and look and, and, and see um, some of what made us love her. Um, I think that... Uh, 
hopefully there will be a lot of people watching and celebrating her um, as fans. Because we get that luxury. You know, the people that were closest to her, that knew her best, her friends and her family, they probably don't have that luxury right now. So I think maybe in a way it's up to those of us that do have that luxury that we do celebrate for those that can't. Um, in addition to some of the matches that um, that Jason listed in his article, I do want to just add uh, a couple. Um, her match against the Starlight Kid from January 6th of last year uh, is great. Um, there's uh, a match uh, from September 10th, uh, 2017. I believe that was in the Five Star Grand Prix that year against Kigetsu, um, which is which is really good. There's a Neo Shirai match from April of 2017, um, worth watching. And, of course, her entire run, the five-star Grand Prix last year, is worth watching as well. That noise is my beautiful, wonderful daughter. And so that means it's time for me to sign yeah. off. Everyone take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. If you need help, if you find yourself in a position where you need it, reach out. There are so many outlets. There's so many people out there with the love and compassion in their hearts, and they're willing to share it with you. That includes me, so feel free to hit me up on Twitter, at KOPW72, and uh, I hope to be back soon talking about things that probably will seem a little inconsequential amidst all of this, but hopefully will bring a smile uh, to some faces. Thanks again.